21, 14, and 27. Um, and it really is, well, I, I title it Jesus the Man Authority because the reality is Jesus is the Messiah. He's, he's the boss. He's the Lord. He's the chief. He is genuinely. And so when we think of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, we, we think so much of the cross and so much of the, the, the sacrifice and him, him giving himself up. But the reality is, even though he did give himself up as a sacrifice, he is still in control. I mean, he's still, you're going to see some just amazing, divine, authoritative power come from Jesus. Um, the, the Jesus who we serve, he, he isn't a, a, a big wimp who, who rolls over and takes, you know, I mean, he comes in and here, you know, he, here's a picture, obviously, of him, you know, coming into the temple to clean up, you know, the, the merchandisers, you know, the, the profiteers, if you will. And that's where we left off last week, basically, with him entering into the temple and, and basically uh, turning the tables on the profiteers, those who would seek to profit. Now, of course, we talked about business. Business is, there's nothing wrong with with business, I believe, in, in as far as Christian ethics are concerned, making money work, whatnot. But the problem what we see here that was clear, we identified it very clearly, was that they were taking advantage of people. Okay, so business is one thing. You know what I'm saying? Making money, making profits, it, it's one thing. It's, it's neither right or wrong. It, I think it's ethically neutral. But, but to take advantage of someone, to rip people off, that's not, that's not good. That's not right. I don't think that's what God wants. And so they forced the people to come in and first of all, uh, they had to use temple currencies. So, so they, would, they would force the people, and this is during the Passover time when people came all over the world, and they would have to convert their monies from their, you know, from their, their own current home currencies into temple, special temple currencies. And the, and the exchange rate was, was extremely high, and the, and the charge was high, and it was quite corrupt. And we did talk about that last time we were here. And, and the second thing that they did that was corrupt was, was they would charge, um, if you brought your, your own sacrifice, it, 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 it wouldn't pass. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't allow it. You would have to sacrifice temple-approved, you know, sacrifice, animals, doves, whatever, you know. And so, and of course, the markup, the inflation on it would be just horrendous. So, so it isn't just that they provided a service. Because providing a service would probably be a good thing. It was because they were ripping people off. It, Jesus came in and said, no, you're not to do this. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 21, 12. So we're going to rewind just a wee bit going into it. Even though we are 14 onwards, I'm going to go back a couple of verses just to get into the flow. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Again, if they're going to provide a service to help people to worship God, I'm sure that wouldn't be a problem. Because what's the intention? What's the focus of the temple? It's a house of prayer. What's prayer? It's looking our, towards God. It's putting our faces towards God. It's giving God our, our, our requests, our petitions, our, you know, our minds, our hearts. So that's the point of the temple. It isn't to make... 
well, here, as he says, it making a den of robbers. So again, it wasn't that they were fighting a service to fulfill worship, to fulfill prayer. It was that they were ripping people off because they knew the people were going to come because of their you know, religious obligations. They were going to come because of their passion for the, for the Passover, their service, their passion for the temple, their passion. They're going to be there and they're going to be basically forced to use the temple money. Or else they couldn't worship. Forced to use the temple, you know, sacrifices. Or there would be no sacrifices for them. So it was truly a, a mockery of, of, a, of a place of worship, a place of prayer. And so Jesus came with his authority. And of course, I named this section, what was going on. And what was going on was this, was this, 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 this den of robbers. That's what was going on. But what's interesting is I also titled this, What Was Happening. And what was happening is Jesus came to clean up. He came to clean up and he came to heal. So first thing we see him do, and I put in bold, he overturns the tables. He corrects the wrong. And then also he heals the sick. And it goes on to say the blind and the lame came to him at the temple. And he healed them. Again, we see Jesus constantly. His ministry is filled with love. It's filled with compassion. It's filled with care for people. And the thing I put in here that was quite noteworthy as I was reading through my various commentaries was that uh, one com- actually a couple commentators um, mentioned the fact that um, that these 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 sick people, these lame and blind folk, you know, they weren't normally allowed to be the temple. You know, they were. Well, you know, we, we kind of want your kind here. You know, we don't want your influence upon this holy place. And that's kind of sick, isn't it? That's kind of weird, isn't it? If anything, that's where people should go. They should turn to God when they're unwell, blind, prayer, you know, blind, lame. You know, I, mean, I, I, I didn't follow this lead up too intensely, but I was touched by just the, the, the idea that people may or may not have been allowed in the temple because of their blindness or because of their, um, their, their lameness. You know, I, I thought that was really quite sad. But look what Jesus said. He says, come. This is the right place. This is the perfect place to be. Come to the temple. Come to the place of worship of God. Come to meet God, meet the Messiah. He didn't stop them, but he invited them and he heals them. But look what happens when these so-called leaders, the response, the so-called leaders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they saw the wonderful things. Now, what Jesus was doing was wonderful. But when wonderful things happen, sometimes, a lot of times, people get really jealous. They get bent out of shape because this is not the way things are supposed to be done in our culture. It's not the way that things are supposed to be done in our religion, in our way. So they get bent out of shape. Wonderful things happening. They should be praising God. This is great. Awesome. Hey, the Messiah's here. You know, hey, he knocked some tables over. Okay, maybe we should rethink that policy. But you know what? Here he is. He's healing people. But no, they were upset. They were jealous. Because why? Well, first of all, they weren't able to heal these, these, these people. They've been around their society. They've been around their culture. They've been around the temple for ages. But the fact that he's letting them in and he's healing them, they were upset and jealous about it. Wonderful things are happening. And also there's these children. Of course, we talked about the assumptions of you know, lameness and, or, or, or health versus non-health and, and children in and, 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 and the pop culture you know, and their prejudice against children. You know, being that they're a nuisance, they're inconvenience. Oh, let's not let them hang out. In the, certainly there's no place for children in the temple. Come on, get them out there. Put them in the, in the women's court. Let the women watch out for them. You know, put them somewhere else. But this is a place for men. This is serious business we're doing here. But no, Jesus didn't say, yeah, 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 uh, you're right. Let's get rid of the children because they're a nuisance. No, he brought the children in. And the children were even winding up the chief priests and the leaders even more because they were singing songs to Jesus. 
Oh, they're already upset. They're already jealous. There's Jesus. And, and, and the, they don't know how to confront the guy because they're like, there's no doubt about it. God's with them. How are we going to trick? How are we going to spin doctor this situation? There's no doubt about it. God's with Jesus. But we don't like him. So we got to make some kind of plan to get him out of our hair. And then the children start singing. And they're like, as it says here, they were indignant, which means um, another translation might say steered with up with anger or steered up in anger. They were frustrated. They were just, you could see the steam coming out of their ears. Just like, oh, that's enough. It's one thing when Jesus was walking about in Galilee doing the things he was doing. And we hear the news of it. But now he's in our temple. He's in our, he's in our area, our, you know, <laughs> he's treading in our territory. No way, Jose. They're upset. They're really angry. And they do as they do. They ask their cheeky questions to Jesus. So they ask him, do you hear what these children are saying? What are they saying? Hosanna, the son of God, David. We, we've already heard about these earlier. Of course, the son of David, this is a, 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 a claim to his messiahship, specifically this claim to his um, royal his royal line, the idea the Messiah would come from that royal line of David. So they're hearing this, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a call for, for, for salvation. Save us, son of David. Save us, you who comes from this royal line who is, you know, again, very likely an affirmation of his Messiahship. They're upset about this. You know, it's funny how it comes from the mouths of these children, but yet these old gens are re- rejecting it and refusing it because of the pride, their hard hearts, their arrogance. And so Jesus says, yeah, but haven't you read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. I love it. God will use the simple things in life to confound the wiser or the supposedly, the so-called wiser. And here we see simple things like children, infants and children, just wee ones, like, like the wee ones we have here earlier today, even younger, just singing out songs to Jesus, calling forth praises to God. And so he, at this point, left, went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. He didn't like to spend too much time in, <laughs> in Jerusalem, it looks like. Look, he kind of comes and goes. It was like a commuting situation. He was there, but he goes, I'm out of here. Goes to Bethany, spends the night, and he comes back the next day. And that's where we get in the next section. So, early in the morning, Jesus was on his way back to the city. That's Jerusalem, of course. And he was hungry, seeing a fig tree. By the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. See, in this story here, there's so many places your mind wants to go. And if I were a disciple, I'd be asking all kinds of questions about what's going on here. We've already seen trees used to demonstrate, um, you know, good trees and bad fruit trees. You know, the good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad trees. And here's a tree that you'd expect. And at this time, if it was producing leaves, it should be also producing fruit. Figs as well. It's a time for the fruit to be um, produced. So, so, so the idea here is Jesus looking and saying, well, here's a, a fig tree producing leaves, but where's the fruit? There's no fruit. So what does Jesus say? He, he does a thing that, in my mind, is a bit odd. I can't really understand why he does this thing. But he says to this tree, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately, the tree withered. Now, um, a lot of commentators go off in this and, and, and try to answer the question that I ask myself when I see this. Why the fig tree? Why is it withered away? Why? Why did Jesus do this? Maybe the, the disciples understood why and they didn't ask. But I kind of wish they asked the question why. Because I want to know why did he do this? 
And there's lots of speculation about why he did do this, but they didn't ask why. And I'm upset they didn't ask why, because I want to know the answer to that question. Why? This poor fig tree. I can only assume, and there are a lot of really good suggestions about why this happened. I'm not going to go into them this morning. Maybe you can go home and, and, and research why Jesus may have done this. Unfortunately, this portion of Scripture doesn't really deal with it concretely, so I can't really do that just now. Instead, I'm going to ask the questions the disciples asked. And they asked how. They didn't ask why, they asked how. So the disciples, they saw this, and they were amazed. How? Did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. So Jesus answers the question, not why, but how. And we're going we're gonna to go there with him. We're going to be faithful to where the scriptures takes us, and we're going to ask together, how is it possible? And to me, I think that's even sillier of a question. Because look at all the things that Jesus has been doing, all the healings, all the miracles. How? What a dumb question. How? Because he's the son of God. That's how. I mean, he could do whatever he wants to do. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people with a few things. Why do the disciples ask the word how? Ah, oh, Anyways, but Matthew, he documents how, not why. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and no doubt, I highlighted those because it's nice to have uh, antithetical thoughts. There's a fancy word for you today. Antithetical thoughts. When we believe in something. So we believe something's true. A is true. We presuppose that something quite the opposite is false. So if A is true, not A is false. And so here we have contrasts, antithetical thoughts, faith, doubt. So you either have faith or you have doubt. They're antithetical. They stand against each other. It's not like you have faith mixed with doubt. It's a kind of a doubting faith or a faithing doubt. It seems like these are quite the opposite kinds of things. Now, I do understand that in life we do wrestle with these issues and there's a lot of doubt maybe that we would, would struggle within our own lives and our own selves. But generally, what Jesus is teaching us here, especially with the power that, that, we, that he's going to talk about in a moment, he's going to talk about faith. Faith that has no doubt that's, that's exactly what he says here. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, and this is Jesus, he's, he's illustrated this before. He loves this illustration. You can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Basically, you can do big things, right? That's what he's saying here. He's using hyperbole. He's, he's, still, he's illustrating the strength and the power of faith. Faith is amazing. Faith is powerful. You can do so many things, your mind will just be racked <laughs> with the possibilities. So here's a big thing. See that mountain? Imagine it getting chucked in the sea. Well, that's how big faith is. That's what he's saying, yeah? Faith, no doubt. Okay? Faith, no doubt. I'm not talking about the band here, by the way. Faith, no doubt. Go, throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done if you believe. There's another word we see with faith a lot of times. If you believe. Believe in faith. They're, they're, quite, they're quite tightly knit together. It's belief and faith. You will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, that is something we could possibly just spend a lot of time talking about. What? How is it possible that you get anything you ask in prayer if you have faith? What does it even mean? And, of course, when we look at that, we would have to look at the will of God and, 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 and various, you know, you know, um, 
various variables. But again, I'm not going to do that today because today's study isn't a topical about faith and prayer and faith. Today is a devotional study through Matthew. And so I want to really stick on topic. And what he's talking about here, again, is, is faith. How is this tree able to wither through faith? And so I want to look at some other, uh, I want to develop this principle that Jesus is teaching us. James, he also communicates this principle. So if you look with me with James, James 1, 6 to 8, this principle is, I think, unpacked a little bit more. James says this, but when you ask, so again, this is prayer time, yeah, it's prayer time. So you ask in prayer, belief, faith, with no doubt. That's exactly what James seems to be saying here, yeah, in James 1, 6. But when you ask, again, the idea is prayer, right? When, who you ask him? You're asking God, yeah, through prayer. You must believe. So the word belief appears again. And no doubt. So it seems like there's a, a contrast or, a, like I said, the antithetical you know, f- concept here. You know, opposites. You have doubt, which is quite an opposite thing from faith. Because the one who doubts, okay, here we go. Now we're looking at the character of the doubter. Okay. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So they just kind of, life just kind of happens to them. <laughs> they just happen to just be there. You know, there's no clear direction. There's no vision. It's just whatever, blah. As opposed to a person with faith, hears from God, acts, goes. Doesn't stray. He goes. He's focused. He's there. And if, when things come, like the winds and the waves, yeah? Winds and the waves. We know about winds and waves. Well, not so much about waves, except for today we can kind of imagine what waves are like. But, but the wind. We've experienced a lot of wind last week, haven't we? And we can see the power that wind happens when it blows signs off of shops and blows fences down and all of my shingles fall off my rooftop. You know, all the fun stuff that comes with powerful waves, you know. We know how powerful. And so when powerful things, when scary things, when, when quite frustrating things happen to us, things that are intended to move us, may they be spiritual or not. A person without that focus, that faith, that this is it, this is what God wants, can be pushed like the shingles off my rooftop. You call them slates, I think, in this country. I keep saying shingles. Sorry, slates. Shingles is like a, something you get when you're stressed out. Huh? Slates, sorry. <laughs> my roof is a bit stressed out, so he does have shingles. I don't know. But uh, you know what I'm saying. So when the slates or the signs and all the trees and the, and the bins get flung, you know, that's kind of like how we are with our lives if we're not focused. Faith. Trust in God. Trials come. Temptations come. We don't want to be that kind of person. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Would, why? Because they don't know what the Lord wants for them. They just ask for random things. If they're that fickle. But a person who's focused on the Lord, who has faith, knows the will of God, knows what's important, knows what matters, and that's their path. That's their road. Such a person, again, this is speaking of the, the, the doubter, is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So there is a principle. This really, I think, complements what Jesus is talking about with this uh, idea of great faith doing great things like making trees wither or chucking mountains into the sea. Powerful faith is. But it has to have the focus, the right focus, and that is belief, trust, faith in God and what he's doing. And Jesus Christ and what Jesus, I mean, look what he, didn't Jesus didn't just do anything he wanted to do with faith. No, he did what God wanted him to do with great faith, and he had great power along the way. Here's an example. Romans 4, 18 to 22. Great example. I love it when 
the Old Testament's filled with so many good examples, and Paul saw that. And so in Romans, he goes back and looks at Abraham, um, and it says this in Romans 4.18, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Again, belief, faith. We see that there's a connection between those two terms. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him. So there's his focus. God told him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You know, he said it in different ways, but generally that's kind of what the vision was. That was kind of what Abraham's mind was focused on. You know, as he's waiting for his promised child in a ripe old age, you know, in the whole trials with Sarah and not being able to conceive. We know the stories, right? So that was his focus. How am I going to be a daddy if I can't be a daddy? You know, it doesn't seem right. So it took a lot of faith. So he saw the vision. He saw, this is what God promised. You will be a father of many nations. But he believed in the power and the strength of God. Even when God tested him and asked him to sacrifice Isaac, he goes, you know what? I don't know how God's going to do it, but he promised me. Even if I take him up on this mountain and, and, and offer my son as a sacrifice, God has the power to resurrect him. So I don't know what God's doing here. I'm going to follow him faithfully because that's my faith. He wasn't blown back and forth like, but no, God, you don't understand. You know, you promised me and I have to maintain this promise because it's in my strength and my power to make things happen. I can't trust in you to make things happen. (laughs) I have to trust in myself. That's a doubter. Don't doubt God. If you're going to doubt anything, doubt yourself. Abraham, he goes, God, you tell me to do this. I'm going to do it. As hard as it may be. So there's the focus. Abraham had the focus. Father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. In other words, he was he's old. This is what my wife tells me all the time when I say we should have another children. She says this thing. <laughs> she says, no, I'm too old. <laughs> so basically, that's what's happening here. Abraham, Sarah, too old. Can't do the baby thing no more. Since he was about 100 years old. No excuses. <laughs> and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So you see the problem here, right? We see the physical, the human perspective problem. You know, logic dictates that 100-year-old people don't usually have babies. That's the problem. But he wasn't blown by this wind. He wasn't affected by this trial that most people would be knocked over and carried away with. He trusted in God. So he saw God, he focused, he went towards that direction. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened. Wow, what kind of person, what kind of character, when trials comes, instead of being blown off track, becomes strengthened? I think again of an athlete, a strong athlete. When, 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 when all the opposition comes against the athlete, they become stronger and stronger because they know they need the strength to continue on. Here, again, faith the same way, stronger. Rather than being blown over like a weakling, like a bin that gets chucked over. Trees tend to not blow over as much, but they can. But bins are easily taken because there's no strength, there's no foundation. So again, here he is, he's focused. Boom. He's strengthened. When the trials, when the... And I'm sure he wakes up. I'm sure he had restless nights where he's thinking, God, how's this going to be? How's this going to be? I'm 100. She's almost 100. How's this going to be? But you know what? It's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? He didn't doubt. He may have asked questions. He may have had sleepless nights because he's a human. But he said, regardless, it's going to be. I just trust. I just know it's going to be because God said it. 
And God would never lie to us. So his faith was strengthened. And he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power. Again, like I said earlier, even when God asked him to, to sacrifice Isaac, he knew he had the power to resurrect him or whatever it is that he wanted to do. He didn't realize that God was going to stop him last minute, which thank God he did. <laughs> you know, he knew, though, even if he had to go, and he, as far as Abraham was concerned when he did sacrifice Isaac, that, he, that the act was done. God stopped him literally last minute, last second, last moment. So he knew in his deep in his heart that God would still, his son would be alive somehow, some way. Because God does not break his promises. Fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous. He totally had the utmost faith, trust, belief in God. He was focused. He wasn't a doubter. He was blown away by various trials and temptations. But faith, when I was studying this faith, there's one thing I noticed. It's so important to have faith. So great to have faith. Next slide, please. But love is greater. Something we kind of tend to put in a different category. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, today's message is about faith. It's not about love. But you know what? Faith is powerful. Faith is great like I was trying to demonstrate this morning, looking at Abraham and his faith. But Consider this as well. Love. Think about what Jesus was doing. All the mighty acts of faith he was doing. But yet everything he did was absolutely surrounded, saturated with love. Love and compassion. Love motivated him to heal. Love motivated him for the cross. Love. Love was the greatest. And so we all know 1 Corinthians 13, yeah? So I have portions of it up here. I left out the parts that describe what love is. So go back home and look at the descriptions of love. But look at the... The look at the, the foundation of love that we see here. He says in verse one, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and of all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains. See, there you go, kind of like what Jesus is talking about. That faith that moves mountains. But do not have love, I am nothing. Love never fails. This goes on, by the way, I, I missed some, some, some portions out, like I said. So he goes on later on to say, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now, of course, he's talking about here um, the, the state of humanity just now. Okay, Knowledge, prophecy can only do so much because... It won't be complete until, as he says, the perfect comes, until we see God face to face. And he illustrates it very clearly as well. So we need prophecy. We need knowledge. But we also need to recognize that it's incomplete while we're living on this crazy ball of mud called earth because of our own limitations, frankly. But when the completeness comes, now some say that the completeness speaks of the scriptures, but I don't agree with that. I believe the completeness comes is when, we, is when Christ returns and in, 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 in we're in his eternal presence. Because at that point, there will we'll be no need to come to know. There will be no need to come to prophesy because we'll have direct access to God himself. 
You know what I'm saying? Why do you need a prophet when we can ourselves walk up to God and say, hey, what's up? <laughs> so I don't think it's the scriptures because there's still obviously um, a partness, an incompleteness with knowledge because look at all the different theories and theologies. I mean, there's so, much, there's so much disagreement that we can't say that the completeness has come already. I don't feel comfortable saying that personally. You may disagree with me, that's fine, but I, I, I think this, is, this talks about the actual return of Christ himself. So he illustrates this now, this principle. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things or the ways of childhood behind me. For now, this is Paul talking at his present moment. And Paul was some, some, he was a man of great reason. He was a man who was very close to God. After all, he did write most of our New Testament, right? So here he is, Paul speaking right now. Right now for Paul. We, so he includes us with him. Only, you know, or the church in Corinth who he's writing to. For now, we see, only, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And back then, mirrors weren't as clean and pristine as they are now. So it was a rough image, if you will. So right now, we, we have ideas. We can know certain things, but it's a bit rough. We have a lot of questions. Like, remember earlier, I was talking about questions. Like, the, the apostles asked, how did the tree weather? And I would rather them ask, why did the tree weather? So we have questions. And hey, come on, we've got to be honest with ourselves. Don't we have questions? Don't we still come to God and ask him things? Yeah, of course we do. Because we see in a mirror, but there's, it's, it's a bit cloudy. Now, for now, I know in part. Then, he's talking about in the future, when Christ, I believe, when the perfect comes, when Christ returns and establishes his heavenly kingdom, his permanent, eternal kingdom, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. So three very important things. He's talking about all these things that are for our benefit now, like prophecies and tongues and knowledge and all these wonderful, wonderful gifts that we need now. We do need these gifts now. We need them now, but there will be a time when we won't need them no more. But what's going to remain, what Abraham had, and what Jesus is encouraging us here to have, right? Faith is one of them. Hope is one of them. And love is one of them. These things will remain. They will continue. They will be a part of our character as we move on from this life to eternal life in God's kingdom. These three things. So think about this. If, there's any t- if you're going to dedicate your time, your mind, your life to anything that has true lasting value, here's three things right there. How much time are you invested into faith? How much time are you investing in hope? How much time are you investing in love? And of all of these, the greatest of these is love. Now, I kind of wanted to add that. I wasn't sure if I should have, could have, but I thought, you know what? We're talking about faith. Faith is so important, but we need to remember that everything we do needs to be saturated with love. Next slide, please, Gary. So therefore, it's safe for us to conclude that, that the faith that Jesus displayed in and through Jerusalem like the tree and like the healings and everything else and even his, 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 his steps towards the cross. Everything was completely saturated with the attitude and real presence of love. You know, love. Next slide. Um, how, much, how much do I have time-wise? Oh, I'm going to say that for next week. Um, go to the last slides. To be continued. <laughs> uh, who would I put here? I put here, here's the authority of Jesus the Messiah. 
He's in the temple, he's in Jerusalem, he's cleaning up, he's healing, he's receiving praise, and he's teaching. I'll talk about the teaching more next week, though. And of course, I ask this question, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? When I put that question, I wasn't sure who was going to be here this morning. But regardless, I think it's a good question to ask. No matter who is here this morning. I might ask the question again next week. Who knows? But who do you say Jesus is? This is a question we've been wrestling with for several weeks now. Do you feel more comfortable in the company of the doubting type, you know, like the religious leaders? You know? And we're going to talk about that because they actually were quite, they were very doubting. I called them the agnostics. Because that's, that's uh, doubting. I, I think doubting agnosticism, a term that we hear a lot flown around today, is a lot of similarities. And we're going to deal with that more next week because I had to skip it because I ran out of time. So come next week and we'll talk more about this doubting. Wait, if not next week, the week after. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week for teaching. I might do a special thing. So the next time we're in Matthew. Or are we those of faith? And, and you know what I'm talking about. I was talking about like, those who, like Abraham, who focus on the mission as opposed to those who just let life happen to them and they're pushed back and forth, right? Doubters, faithers. Like Christ's disciples. I mean, Christ's disciples, I, I, we know they still wrestle with doubt, you know, and, we, and there are various sins and temptations that yet um, to be overcome with the power of God and His Holy Spirit. But yet, I think they, it, well, look at, look at the the father of faith himself, Abraham. I mean, that right there should be very encouraging. We, would, we should, we ought to look at that character and want to be like that. Unwaving, unwaving, secure, confident in faith, in trust, in God. We got a lot more to talk about here, okay? So, like I said, if, I know, if it's not next week, it's in two weeks. We'll pick up and we'll, 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 we'll continue what I missed out today and we'll keep going. But there's a lot more to be talked about here. Yeah.